Welcome to our podcast. Good news, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome and thank you for joining us. This is Darius Dell here, senior analyst on the Hedgeye Macro team, uh, to welcome you to the Friday, January 4th edition of the Hedgeye Macro Show. Uh, thanks to all our new subscribers and uh, those of you who might be joining us for the first time. We appreciate uh, making the time. I'm joining the studio today with Hedgeye CEO Keith McCullough. As always, if there are any questions, pop into the chat stream. We'll try to get to as many as we can before the end of the show. With that, take it away, Keith. Thanks, Darius, and thanks for joining us, especially for those of you that are new. We appreciate your audience this morning. Uh, top three things of what we start with every morning in macro again, ignoring everything because there are certain things that macro tourists or focus on one day to the next, jumping from headline to headline, is what you don't want to do. What you want to do is look at all of global macro, uh, which of course includes the fixed income markets, currency markets, commodity markets, etc. Uh, so first in the top three things this morning will be what nobody's talking about on Old Wall TV, which is Japan. Uh, number two, we're going to talk about counter-trend bounces and how to uh, deal with those things in your life, uh, which will happen certainly in bear markets. And then finally, going to hit on the jobs report, explain it quantitatively as opposed to qualitatively, which many of the political types will today, which is absolutely of no value. Uh, first on Japan, down hard overnight. So this was the first day of the year for the Japanese stock market. So if you want an update on that, it is careening towards a crash. Now, a crash as defined by most people that have run money in their life or people that have seen their money crash, is a greater than a 20% drop in a straight line. So again, uh, Japan, as you can see, peaked in October, uh, down again overnight 2.3%, and remains bearish trend at Hedgeye. So we're still bearish on Japanese stocks. A big bullish trend breakout signal in the yen is also new at Hedgeye as of the last week or so. And the final thing I'd say about Japan, which is a very good indicator for both global growth and inflation expectations, is the yield on JGBs. Okay, so if you don't know what that is, let's teach you. JGBs are Japanese government bonds, and they now have a yield on the 10-year of, get this, negative 0.05%, down 11 basis points in the last month alone. Again, the Japanese see what we've been seeing for a long time now at Hedgeye for over a year, uh, that the global economy in terms of its cycle had peaked in January of last year, and now we go on and on with that being priced in by Mr. Market. Point number two this morning, away from Japan, the counter-trend bounces. So we see counter-trend bounces in what? In China, in copper, in Europe, in the U.S. equity market, in tech, which was got body bagged yesterday. Uh, don't forget that the Nasdaq yesterday got to down 20.3%. 20.3% was the crash uh, right down on the skids yesterday. You don't want to be long of skids. <laughs> All right? Don't try that at home. Uh, you can call it a crash. You can call that a big, nasty skid. You can call it whatever it is. You just don't want that. You want to have your shorts on, and you want to have them clean. Okay, so on the downside of yesterday's move, the Nasdaq's close was down 20.3% from where it was only at the end of August when, the again, the U.S. economic cycle peaked, the corporate profit cycle peaked. Uh, the three, the trifecta of peaks now, again, we're just going to constantly see these counter-trend bounces because everyone, of course, who missed it is trying to tell you that it's over with, and they continue to confuse dips with disasters, okay? So dips are not disasters. For two and a half years going into September, uh, don't forget, and again, if you weren't a subscriber, you wouldn't have had to forget because you wouldn't know this. But for two and a half years, I was bullish on growth stocks, including tech and consumer discretionary stocks, fang fully loaded. Uh, that changed in September for us, and that's a real important pivot. When you go from being long growth to short growth, when you're short growth, you're long treasuries, 
Okay, now that's an opportunity to be buying this morning on the jobs report. Point number three this morning is the 10-year yield. Okay, little teach-in on this. There are late cycle indicators in macro. There are early cycle indicators in macro. The latest of late cycle indicators, the latest of late, is wages. Okay, so uh, some of these wage inflation charts that we could show you today, 3.5% on average hourly earnings. Yeah, think that that chart's gone up a little bit, Genron? Go back to that one. That that, that looks like a bullish chart. Pretty bullish. That's called a a big pain in the you-know-what for corporations that have to pay people wages. Uh, Now, if if you're long companies that are only long of robots as their labor, uh, then that might be a little bit different as the productivity of those robots ostensibly is is increasing as the cost of the machines are falling. At Hedgeye, actually, we do a lot of that. We have predictive tracking algorithms instead of human beings. We do have human beings as well. Uh, But again, our human beings aren't cheap, and nor are people that don't have predictive tracking algorithms and machines. Um, So again, this is quintessentially what happens at the end of the cycle. In no economic cycle have wages not increased into a recession and therefore perpetuated a recession okay so the wages go up your revenues start to slow and your margins go like that and then you guess what you have to fire people okay so if you didn't know that now you know that's how the labor cycle works uh this of course is going to put a nail at least a new nail in the coffin where people who have been saying that the fed absolutely has to cut interest rates tomorrow They're not going to do it with that kind of a labor report, by the way. So again, by the end of today, the market might look a lot different than what it looks like today. What I want you to focus on today is doing what? Buying treasuries and or related securities that are linked to rising bond yields. So again, what we think and have continued to think, and we're really the first ones to make the turn on growth to slower growth, were that bond yields would fall as opposed to rise back from those two dots. So that's November and October, of course, the two dots, two nice little dots. Uh, for the technical types on the old wall, they'll call it a double top. The old double double. You know, yeah, it's like, did you have to go to school to come up with that? No, obviously I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. Uh, but you don't want to have been uh, short that option uh, at the end of the day if it was called shorting treasuries up there. A lot of macro hedge fund managers did. Uh, you can beat most macro hedge fund managers, by the way, by just using hedge. And I like that. You know, so again, you're going to get the bounce. Uh, how much higher we can go, we'll see. The low end of the risk range now in the 10-year yield is all the way down at 254, so we'll consider that probable that the 10-year yield over the course of the intermediate term, which is a little different than the immediate term range, which is 254, can easily go to 250 and then lower. Uh, So again, we're going to stay with that. We're going to stay with all the setups that we have that are embedded in that, buying utilities at the low end of the range and buying REITs at the low end of the range, buying gold at the low end of the range, buying housing stocks at the low end of the risk range. Lots to talk about there. We actually have our Global macro themes called 11 o'clock, where we'll give you beautiful slides, 112 slides, if I don't say that they're tremendously beautiful, to use the words of your favorite president. And how he described Nancy Pelosi yesterday, he said that she was very, very tremendous, or something like this. And we have very, very tremendous slides that we will present to you in their entirety alongside the process at 11 o'clock. Of course, that's for institutional investors and people that are paying us. Uh, but again, thanks for joining us. We're going to make it to this morning free so you stop losing all your money alongside the old wall <laughs> and TV. Uh, those are your top three things. Right. Bad for your health. Bad for a lot of things. And it's, uh, what we do after we do the top three things is I round the bases, around the macro. If you don't have a notebook, you should get one. Uh, if you don't write things down, you just think because you're naturally smart uh, and you don't have to write things down or study. I would suggest, if you're more like me, uh, you have to deliberately study the market, write it down, measure and map it daily. Uh, again, th- these are the things that we do. These are the days of our lives. We're constantly measuring and mapping the economic cycle alongside the market signals. So let's get into the market signals right here and now. Just go to the board. Uh, what I always write down at the beginning of every morning, just so that I focus our 
some of our small minds, of which I have one, uh, on this very thing, 2355 to 2555. Now, what is that? That is what we call the most probable range of the S&P 500. The best place to make decisions are at the low end of the range and at the top end of the range. At the low end of the range, you buy, and at the top end of the range, you sell. I had to go to an Ivy League school to get that, okay? <laughs> buy low, sell high, damn it. Uh, well, a lot of people, what they do is they go, oh, my God, market's up, i got to buy. They buy high, and then they freak out and sell low. Now, that is, you can be as smart as somebody wants to be, but that's a really stupid thing to do. Okay, so down 3.8% is your downside to the market. So once you get uh, some bounce towards this number here, you're going to have like 4 to 5 to 6% downside, immediate term downside, uh, which presents a wonderful short selling opportunity. And if you're one of the poor folk out there uh, who hasn't subscribed to us or subscribed to the old wall and all of its views and all of its glory, uh, you know, it will allow you to at least get out of some stuff that you haven't got out of. Uh, so again, appreciate the bounces. Thank the market gods for the bounces. The bounces are opportunities to sell. They're not dips. Okay. Uh, important thing. Sell the rips in a bear market, buy the dips in a bull market. Really simple stuff to remember, even for a Canadian hockey player. What else do I got going on for you? The data. Volume. Cue the volume. So when we look at the market, we don't just look at the price. That would be nonsensical. That's what a simple moving monkey would do. Well, if I look at the 50-day and I say it with an accent, the market looks unsafe. I mean, no, that's, okay, don't do that. Don't use 50-day, 200-day, simple moving average moving monkeys. Build a simple model alongside us that includes three factors. Price, volume, which we're showing you here, and volatility. The volatility one is a real go-getter. That's the one that you really want to be paying attention to, the vol of vol. I'll get into that in a second. But first, as you can see here, the volume yesterday versus the prior day was up. The prior day's volume was down on an up day, and then on a big smackdown down day, you had up volume versus the prior day. So again, that continues to confirm the relationship. When a market is breaking down through the hedge eye trend line and then through the tail risk line, and we have accelerating the volume and breaking out volatility, uh, look at the implied vol table today, guys. If you want to throw that up there for people, this might lose some of the newbies. Of course, newbies that only watch old wall TV that get all that stuff for free for a reason. They're like, oh, my God, that is way too much. Uh, I got to listen to Joe Kernan talk about the Dow and points. Uh, I mean, that, that is not going to help you. Okay, Counting how many points the Dow is up or down. I mean, seriously. I mean, get with it. It's 2019. Um, so, again, what we're showing you here today is an absurd level of complacency uh, an ongoing one, really, uh, that you've been seeing in the marketplace. So what you have there is an implied volatility discount in the S&P 500 versus what's been realized versus the last 30 days. Uh, if you don't know what that means, you're going to have to teach yourself. Uh, and again, that's okay, because I don't have the time to teach you this morning. This is free. I'm, get, I'm making you aware, trying to make you less ignorant and more aware. What you need to know and how you... There are many, many things you need to teach yourself. Uh, apologies for the old wall in advance for making you carry all these like bad habits. Bad baggage. Like, it's, like, it's like watching a, bad, a bunch of bad hockey players, a bunch of glorified, like, luxury hockey players. Like, they don't back check, they don't forecheck, they just want all the goals, their parents think they're fantastic. They won't play for me. All right, so let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's learn. Let's educate. Don't be upset when somebody like me is trying to teach you something. I'm trying to teach you some basic stuff from the hedge fund industry, by the way, and modern machines, you know, predictive tracking algorithms. Again, it's 2019. 
Don't do what they do and use them to your advantage. That's the only way the other side of the market, by the way, uh, that you're going to make a lot of money. Rest of the world, quickly, uh, before I take questions. Uh, just around the bases, I already talked about Japan, already talked about the Chinese bounce, but it wasn't a broad-based bounce in Asia. The Kospi bounced a little bit after crashing yesterday, Dr. Kospi did, but we had Taiwan down, we had Australia down. In Europe, again, this is a bounce, but again, we were off oversold lows. So the number one catalyst for markets to bounce are oversold lows, okay? It wasn't the data this morning. You know, look, look, look at the data, the economic data from this morning. Does that look, <laughs> green? Does that look green or red to you? I mean, Darius did that, and he's laughing at his own joke. I mean, this is a, it's not a joke. It's color-coded in red if it is down versus the prior reported number. Now, Brian Westbury will probably struggle with this because he's an absolutist. The market's always got to go up. It goes up 90% of the time, and the 10 to 20% of the time that it goes down, he loses half your money. I mean, so <laughs> it's like, this is, this is bad, okay? It's really bad, okay? And if you don't know that it's bad, now you know. Uh, whether it be the, you know, it's even some of the places that were good, even only three to six months ago, uh, like a place like India, which for those of you who have been there, is not China. Uh, but India now looks bad, and so does China. Okay, so at the end of the day, on this data point, actually, there was one positive data point for once out of China, but the trending data points it, in China it didn't even make continue sense. to be negative, and they probably made up the number. And they that's did, the they did make up the number. Uh, the, the, the manufacturing PMI went down by uh, 0.5 points. The services PMI went up by 0.1 points, but yet the composite PMI went up by 0.1 points when manufacturing is half of the Chinese economy. They're literally making up the made-up survey data points the, now. The, the funny thing is that that's only funny probably to you yes, and, probably. and people that actually... I had a good laugh at 5.30 a.m. this yeah, morning. With yeah, that. Th that, th this is where the joke is. Yeah. People don't do math. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I, would, I would actually give my son, who's only 11 years old, a, a pretty hefty bet against a lot of people who are trading markets mathematically. Yeah. He, he, he actually does math. Middle school math is probably about as much as you need, you know, addition, You don't need a lot, but uh, <laughs> you need to do something as opposed to waking up saying, oh, it's a trade war here. We got ourselves a trade war. Uh, <laughs> tariffs. Holy show. You know what I think. Holy moly. Mike Santoli is going to tell me what to do next. Uh, moving along. All right. So we got that out of the way. Economic data sucks. And it's decelerating. Uh, sucks actually doesn't matter as much as decelerating. So again, think about the rock, the rate of change, the rock. Be aware of that data. Color code it, measure, map it, write it down. Uh, risk range on oil, gold, copper, all there. Oil's having what we call a counter trend bounce. So again, look at the chart. Red line is bearish trend. Black, bounce. Bounce, when it gets to the top end of the range, you can go back to shorting energy. I don't have one energy short on now, but I will. I like to wear my shorts at the top end of the range. Gold, conversely, is correcting within a bullish trend. So again, that doesn't look like copper, which is a bearish trend having a counter trend bounce. Again, reds, red, I should have made that, I, I, I screwed that up. I should have made that arrow red. Uh, but again, I digress. You get the point. And if you don't, you should, okay? So understand, uh, by the way, we've been bearish on copper, China, Europe for all the way back to a year, a year ago uh, today. So again, at some point, this stuff's going to go up, but it certainly didn't go up uh, yesterday, and we're going to get it to go up today, and then we're going to sell it again and again and again. And when we don't, we'll let you know. That's the whole point about the subscription. When we change our mind, you'll know. Uh, maybe a good spot to take some questions. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All righty. Uh, first question here from Dan. And again, we appreciate all the questions. We're obviously not going to be able to get through all of them, but we'll try to get through the most relevant ones. Uh, Dan's asking, is it jumping the gun big time to be buying oil stocks here? Buying oil stocks? Yeah. 
can tell by your response that <laughs> it's probably jumping the gun big time. Well, I mean, if it's up, you might think that it's not. I mean, uh, people chase the wabbit, huh? Mm-hmm. If you're Elmo Fudd, you chase the wabbit. You, you see it. You chase it. Yeah, you got to chase it. It's green, right? No, right, 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 right. No, no, no. If, if, if you've been buying, actually, energy stocks, we're the worst place to have had your money during what we call Quad 4. Quad 4, by the way, for, for again, many of you may not know this because uh, you're new uh, or just here today for, for the day. Uh, the four-quadrant map, again, it might look confusing because it is mathematical, but again, uh, if, if you are mathematically inclined and, and educated beyond the sixth grade, you will understand what's going on. I think they start to introduce um, uh, calculus actually closer uh, to eighth or ninth that's grade. That's ninth grade, yeah. Okay, ninth grade. But, ninth okay, ninth grade. We'll give you ninth grade. We're not trying to talk down to people. We're trying to help people here. Uh, quad one, two, three, or four. Quad four is when both growth and inflation are slowing at the same time. Okay, the worst place to have your money in the U.S. equity sector space, if you look on slide eight of our playbook, the way to do this, again, this is only based on historical market returns, i.e. the truth. Uh, the truth is that when you're in quad four, the three worst sectors to have your money are energy, technology stocks, and industrials. Now, you can go back and see how that scored in the fourth quarter of 2018, quad four and Q4. They were the three worst sectors to be. It wasn't luck. That's the point. Again, we're still in quad four in Q1, so I'm still a seller of energy at some point in quad three, which we'll get to once we're in quad three. We'll buy energy stocks from a lower price. That's actually the point. They'll go up from a lower price. So again, uh, energy I'd be a seller of today in as much as oil. Indeed, indeed. All right, let's keep moving here. Uh, Caesar Jackson, just a process question. Um, how does the methodology work for calculating implied vol on individual stocks? Same way. I mean, implied vol is not a, it's not, it's, it's not a subjective exercise in calculation. No, no. Again, you look at what's been realized in terms of the volatility of whatever that is that's ticking. It doesn't have to be what we're showing you there on the daily, in the daily stat pack. By the way, we give you this as part of the subscription. Uh, you can calculate this, which we do, of course, uh, in any single stock or any, anything that ticks effectively. Uh, you can calculate, obviously, what's been realized in terms of volatility, and then you can look at the options market in terms of what's implied as future expectations of volatility. So again, when what's expected in the future is lower than what's already been realized, that is complacent. When what's expected in the future is higher in terms of volatility expectations than, than what's already been realized, that's people getting right freaked out. Okay, so And that happens. And that's why we measure and map it daily, because this changed really quickly. Uh, this actually, this date in particular, what you find now, because the machine is so dominant in the game, almost 90% of daily trading is systematic, machine-oriented, um, is that one to three days in a month is where you make most of your money in terms of making big pivots versus the street. Uh, the street, again, uh, leans after the moves. So they get long after you go up, they get short after you go down. That's why the returns, by and large, most people have not had good returns in the last uh, long while. Yeah, it's been a while. All righty, uh, let's keep moving here. David's asking uh, XLU, which is utilities. Uh, the earnings growth will be decelerating for two quarters per the table you shared yesterday, the, the revenue EBS comps. Yeah. How's that going to impact your sector ranking for Q1 2019? Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, it's, not, it's never just one thing. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for a shortcut, you're going to, again, end up on the bench at some point. Uh, There's so many things you have to do to be good at this game. Uh, again, it's never one thing. So again, that's one of the things. Thanks for pointing it out. The rate of change of earnings growth. Uh, don't forget that the rate of change of earnings growth for pretty much everything is going to be decelerating. So again, it's not a unique thing for earnings to be decelerating. Uh, utilities is not an earnings story for us. It's a macro exposure. Yeah. So when bond yields fall, utilities go up and or outperform. Now, if they're not going up, they're still going down less 
than the things that are growth-related, i.e. tech or cyclically growth-related due to inflation expectations, which are energy stocks, industrials, et cetera. So again, that's the point on utilities. If you want to be the fundamentalist and just say, it's all about the rate of change of earnings growth of utilities, that's one thing, and you're going to be landlocked into the wrong thing. So again, try to look at everything altogether and then come up with the most probable outcome. The most probable outcome is that utilities outperform, uh, also in Quad 3, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, look, this. We do have clients who do fundamental research on utilities. And, and so sure do we. They, yeah, and they, that's what I mean. And they, yeah. and they have, obviously, uh, very thoughtful views on yep. which utilities to buy and sell. Mm -hmm. But there's this thing called flows when interest rates go down that could push the entire sector higher, particularly on a relative basis when everything else is crashing because their earnings are slowing significantly faster. Exactly. So exactly. That's, that's exactly. the point. As a, it's an old school one, you know, he's a math guy, probably a little crazy to the establishment, mm -hmm. if you get what I mean. I don't know what I'm considered, but I'm certainly not uh, as relevant as this guy. Dude's name's Einstein. <laughs> He's fairly relevant. <laughs> Everything's relative, baby. It is. It actually really is. Yeah. All righty. Uh, yep. Let's keep it moving here. Um, how does the market expectation of a rate height or cut, obviously markets price and rate cuts, um, for your factor into your interest rate or 10-year treasury, treasury bond outlook? Well, uh, to be clear, this is how it worked. Let's try to be crystal clear, in fact. Mm -hmm. Okay. One, Strive for excellence, baby. the data starts to go down. Two, the market is already front-running that. Mr. Market, let's give some respect to the man today or the woman. Mr. or Mrs. Market, okay? This guy's already going down because this guy's front-running that guy. Yeah. So point number three... This lonely old creature called the Fed comes in. <laughs> this guy. Or gal. Got Fed. Yeah. Used to be a gal. Now it's a guy. Powell yeah. as opposed to Janet. Got and they come in wow. after all this has happened and they say, holy moly, Mike Santoli, the, mar the data has slowed. On a, on, a, on a big lag to what the market's already gotten you paid on. So that's the point. Once the Fed eventually realizes what we've been saying since September the 27th, that the U.S. economic cycle has peaked, U.S. growth has peaked, inflation has peaked, profits have peaked, you've already made a ton of money. Now, when they go to dovish, it doesn't mean the economy has to accelerate. This is where there's a trap. Everybody wants to buy the fang ahead of that. You're buying the wrong stuff, brother. Buy the juice. You got to buy the... I'm not a druggie, but, you know, you I get high. how they feel <laughs> the need. <laughs> That's some gold miners. Like, you want to, yeah, you get some gold miners, some <laughs> gold, some more gold miners, some housing, yeah. stuff that's related to falling bond yields in a slowing economy. Yeah. It's called reflating asset prices and screwing the poor people of America who have to pay the bill, okay? Higher gas prices, higher mortgages, higher whatever, higher home prices, maybe lower mortgages. I shouldn't say, should have said it that way. Mm -hmm. Maybe I got carried away. Got carried away. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving here. This is a pretty good question uh, from Dan over in London. Um, so he's slightly confused with Quad 3. Um, so the sector style you obviously want to be, uh, the, the style factor you want to be long of is obviously continues to be low beta min vol, um, yet you want to be underweight consumer stables from a sector perspective uh, based on the back test. Uh, can you give me some more color on that? Yeah, I mean, if you're confused, that's good. Mm -hmm. that you know, uh, I'm confused all day, pretty much every day. I mean, uh, look at me. I mean, just, just, uh, just a mortal. Yeah, the market is not like a beautiful Tiffany blue box. It's perfectly easy to understand, and everything's wonderful while you open it. 
the market is, is set up to confuse you. Okay? So what you're trying to do when you take something like slide uh, number eight, which is effectively the process and the, and the playbook all in one, is you're saying, okay, this is where the most probable place should be that I should take and, 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 and put my chips. Every day you need a market signal to tell you whether or not that is or is not the right idea. Um, so what happens with consumer staples in particular, I could give you a fundamental story on why Quad 3 is worse for consumer staples, even though they are lower beta, low volatility. It's called rising costs in bad businesses. So again, think about it. The Fed goes dovish. Commodities stop crashing. They, go, they go, start to go up. That starts to find its way into the cost structure of a crappy consumer staple company that really doesn't have any revenue growth to begin with. And then they get margin compression. Okay? So that's one simple way to tell yourself a story. But this is not simple. This game is very difficult. If you want to play any game at the highest level professionally, you'll see that there's a very small percentage of people that can do it. And they do a lot of things. Just one thing, only on Wall Street you've been taught on TV. By the way, they're getting paid for this. And I really feel bad for you if you haven't come to grips with this. They get paid for clicks, and they get paid in advertising revenues. They don't get paid to make or save you money. Okay? What you have to do is, is, is really learn a lot and learn that there's a lot more than you ever, ever really thought. I, I'm going to learn until, God willing, I can stand on two feet that I still don't know what I don't know. But again, you should be confused. That's not, that's not a problem. That's actually a very good uh, level of humility you should have every single day when you open this up and you start to try to make good decisions. That's what I try to do. I mean, I get confused all the time, but I go with the high, highest probability situation as opposed to trying to tell the market what to do, what it should do, what my political inclinations are, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I would add just on that last point, if, you, you, if you're trying to tell the market, the, the premise of the question is effectively trying to tell the market that consumer staples are perpetually low beta men ball. When in fact, if you think about it from a, a, a style factor raw perspective, that they could easily fall out of that bucket. Oh, totally. If we go into quad three and some of these crappy consumer businesses get exposed and they become high beta, yep. stocks to the downside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of the risk for a lot of these uh, companies. Obviously, there's some companies that are going to remain low beta men ball. And so when you think about your style factor allocations from a sector neutral perspective, those are the companies you want to focus on. Yeah. Consumer staples as a sector is just not necessarily going to be that. Let's just do one more thing on this just because I think it's an important teaching point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's see here. So if you have a, just the concept of beta, okay, for a second, beta, low beta stocks are stocks that look like this. All right? You can change the slope of the line, but I mean, generally speaking, the betas fall, volatility falls if it doesn't go down. Okay? So if in quad four, consumer staples and healthcare stocks is another good example, guess what happens to the beta when the stock stops doing that and starts going like this? And starts, oh, geez. What does the beta do? Now it's a high beta stock. All right? So that's the whole point, is that betas aren't perpetual. They're not static. They change with the market. <laughs> so in fact, that's apples. one of the many reasons why consumer staples in healthcare are not a core top three long um, sector allocation when you're in quad three, because they go from low beta stocks to higher, higher beta, beta stocks. stocks. Exactly. And what you still want to maintain is low beta, which utilities actually maintain yeah. throughout both quad three and quad four. Well, we'll think about like a stock like Apple, right? Yeah. Well, it's a little bit. It is not. not, not it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's keep it moving. Um, good question. Uh, Patrick's asking, how significant is it that the three-month LIBOR is higher than all U.S. government bond yields up to the 10-year maturity? So that the curve is effectively inverted that 
the treasury curve isn't inverted relative to three-month LIBOR yep. all the way out to 10 years. And do you think that is significant is the question? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, the mm -hmm. curve, we've been saying that for a year now. I mean, as the curve continues to look, I think we had a chart on the, on the curve yesterday, Genron. I don't know if we still have that in the stat pack. Uh, but again, if you're doing your job, it's, it's, just, it's just like anything else. I mean, it's like kind of like you're, you're a golfer and you're not aware that it's raining. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> where is the curve? Where is the goddamn curve this morning? I mean, it's a trivial fact. You hit a button and it tells you where twos versus tens are. So this morning, that's about 18 basis points wide. Thank you, Genron, on your game. Behind the camera, his name is not Siri. His name is Eric Genron. All right, so you see, Genron just showed you what he, he's never traded a market in his life. He's behind the camera, but he knows where the tens two spread is. Yeah. He knows where the curve is mm -hmm. because he's been educated. All right, so again, go from ignorance to awareness. You know that as the curve compresses, that's one of the leading indicators that the cycle is slowing faster, okay? A hundred percent of the time as you head towards a recession, the curve is then, on that one, tens twos, inverted. We're not there yet, but to your point in the question, we're seeing plenty of inversions if you look at different durations within the curve. So it's negative. That's the upshot. You know that. That has not changed. Uh, and by the way, the trend continues to be down. And I do expect the curve, uh, on, a, on a jobs report like this, actually, the curve should probably head towards inversion. Because again, the Fed's going to read that as hawkish, and Wall Street's begging the Fed to be dovish. Um, so again, a 3.5% wage inflation with the Fed's dual mandate being full employment and again, price stability or inflation, you know, they're not really getting what the market's begging for. So something to think about there too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, we got time for one more question here. It says, uh, Jerry's asking, uh, can the Q4 growth deceleration be a one-off? Uh, I mean, anything can happen. It happen. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you're saying there's a chance, Jerry. I mean, that's definitely there's a chance. Again, I go with the high probability situation. Our uh, GDP tracker currently is at 1.54 for the first quarter, well, for, for the for fourth the, quarter. For the fourth quarter, we're 1.56. Yeah, 1.56. So um, that's the point. We've had the low on Wall Street in terms of our, our uh, headline GDP forecast uh, going all the way back uh, to, to August and September. Mm -hmm. um, even if it is a one-off, Jerry, how much money would it have saved you, Jerry, to have known that the one-off was coming? Mm -hmm. You know, it'll take four, a good four months. Don't forget that the Q4 GDP number will be reported on January the 30th, okay? So when a one handle is on GDP, what do you think, Jerry? What do you think your political friends that don't like Trump are going to say about that? Oh, my God, we're heading towards a recession because of this guy. The trade war. <laughs> the wall. Holy. <laughs> I knew it was going to. I mean, there's a lot of emotion associated with that. Yeah, totally. So one-offs matter, especially if you had the nowcast that nobody else had. So again, yeah. it may or may not be. How's that for the answer? Every day, God willing, two feet on the floor at 4.30 in the morning. That's what I do alongside my teammates. Every day is, is a better day to change your position because you get new data, both market moves and economic data. Show it again one more time, General. Look at how much economic data. Look at how fertile and rich your learning experience can be every single morning, Jerry. Look at this. I'm starting to sound like Jerry Maguire, Jerry. I'm trying to help you help you. This is important. The data is always going to set you free. Okay? And that data can be market signal and or it can be economic data. So again, every single day we're going to try to recalibrate. That's why people watch the macro show. That's why people subscribe to what we do. That's why people that are subscribing to what we do uh, are not losing a lot of money when everybody else does. Yeah, and I'll make one quick point on that. You, you said go from ignorance to awareness. You know, just it's like any other profession or you know anything you do in life. 
you got to do the same. You got to practice. You got to have deliberate study. You got to do it over and over again to get good at it. Yeah. We look at the same information every day. We, we're always back testing and trying to evolve the process to figure out what new information we should incorporate into the process. But every day, like you said, at four thirty, closer to five for some of the rest of us. You know, it's it's we wake up, we do the same thing, we look at the same indicators, the same market signals, and we say, okay, this is the new outlook. Some, a lot of times, it's the outlook just stays the same until we have a big change. Yep. Um, and that's why you got to tune in every day or, or read the research every day to sort of uh, keep up with those 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 changes. And thank you, by the way, on that score. Thanks for tuning in today. We, we genuinely, genuinely appreciate your audience and look forward to seeing you again. All righty. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. As a reminder, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut. Hedgeye Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individuals speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither Hedgeye Risk Management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.